Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. Victor here solo for now, but there will be more succession content coming later this week when I'll fill you in on just a minute. In today's episode, I'll be recapping the eighth episode of Succession Season 3, Chianti Shire. Oh boy, what an episode this is. I think this is probably the best episode this show's had. Before we get into all of that, remember to subscribe on your podcatcher of choice so you know when new episodes become available. Later this week, we will be continuing to recap a pretty good episode of Dexter this week, Sona and I. And like I mentioned, later in the week, probably around Thursday, I'd say, I have pre-recorded a really interesting conversation regarding the family dynamics of succession with a friend of mine, Sarah, who is a psychoanalyst. And she basically did a case study on the family, and I find the conversation really fascinating. And as context for that conversation, she had not seen, of course, not this most recent episode we recorded before it aired, but she was about two or three episodes behind there as well in season three. And it's very interesting to hear, as I was editing that conversation, that so much of what we discussed there, the family dynamic and what could potentially occur, was literally occurring in those subsequent episodes. And in that same episode, I will also be catching up with Sona. She was unavailable to record today, but I'll be catching up with her on this episode. She's already been texting me about it, so I know she's excited to talk about it. So that supersized episode later in the ep- later in the week will contain that conversation with Sona regarding this current episode, as well as that really interesting, I really recommend it, that conversation I had with Sarah about the psychology of this really demented Roy family. And so much of that twisted psychology is on display in this episode, a really, truly great episode. So this episode, Chianti Shire, written by Jesse Armstrong, the creator of of the show, always has a written by credit. He runs the, the writer's room, obviously. He's the creator of the show. He's one of the showrunners, but he's normally not credited as the writer of the show. He is credited as the writer of this episode. And I'm sure there's a lot of input from his staff, but I think it is important to note that he probably was extremely involved in writing this episode and directed by Mark Milad. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Who is a well-known TV director, but most importantly has directed some of the most important succession episodes, including the final two episodes of season one and season two, and now this episode as well as the finale next week. So he's the big guns when it comes to pulling off these really important episodes, and it shows. This is a really great episode across the board. So I'm actually going to start at the end. I woke up after watching Succession and taking my notes on Sunday night and found out that the internet had (laughs) basically decided that, spoilers for anybody, please watch the episode before you hear any more of this conversation. The internet had decided that Kendall was dead. And I did not read that scene at all that way. But there are some very interesting arguments that it is the case. Luckily, this isn't a season cliffhanger. We only have to wait next week to find out. But let me give you my read on that final scene. He's in the pool. He's suspended and drowning at the same time. And I think that's the metaphor, right? He is suspended above it all and yet drowning. And I think that's the point he's in. This is the limbo he's stuck in right now. Does he sink or swim? As simple as that. He's been confronted by his dad, and I'm going to break that scene down and include it here, by the way, because it's an incredible, incredible scene that he has at dinner with his father. And his dad has basically said, you can come back and work in the mailroom. I don't know if that's literal or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is pretty literal, at least at the beginning. So does he descend back down into the slogan muck, or does he truly go off on his own? The $2 billion golden parachute is baloney. It's not happening. His dad made that clear in this episode. So that escape that I was kind of critiquing him for not taking before, he decides to take it, and it's a lie. But of course, that's a very cushy parachute. He still has the Roy name. He still has his celebrity status. He could build something on his own. Will he do that? 
So this was how I read the scene. He's floating or drowning, his choice. That's the symbolism there. In the context of what we're actually seeing, literally, I rewatched a scene right now, right before I recorded this, to be clear on what I was seeing. His head is submerged in the water, even as he floats. And you do see all the bubbles leave his mouth, and then it stops. And that's exactly the moment where the episode cuts off. And what I think is happening there goes back to the conversation his dad had where he taunted him, saying, like, how long was that boy in the water before he started to panic and drown? And he said, two minutes, five minutes, how long was it? This is just a taunt for his son. I think Kendall is trying to recreate that experience for himself as a punishment, more self-flatulation, which we've seen throughout the season. So I think that's the literal images we're watching there. And of course, it's cutting off at that moment intentionally. It does want to create some ambiguity, but I don't think it's that ambiguous, my opinion. But then the next morning reading some of these commentaries, I can see the argument. There is a real, I mean, I felt it at the moment when he is arguing with his father, they really felt like this is their last conversation. Now, does that mean he dies? Does that mean he leaves the wedding? and he never talks to his family again. Is this really like Kendall exiting the show, at least temporarily, you know, unless he comes back in another form, having built something of his own or living out in the desert somewhere? But is this the end of his interactions, this drama with his family? Is that the cutoff point? So I can see that argument, that there is a real finality to that conversation. How do you come back from this conversation? And you know, how else can Kendall reboot as we've seen these relationships reboot over and over again? How do you reboot your relationship after that confrontation? It really feels final, which theoretically could mean that he's going to kill himself if he can't envision his life without his father, like he said he can't. That lends myself to believe, well, maybe there is a possibility that he is doing this. And of course, there's been many hints this season. Just last week, for one, he says, I wish I was, pause, home. And I didn't think he was going to say home. And then we see him, of course, overlooking the vessel in Hudson Yards from a height. And I mentioned in an early recap, there's that scene where he gets taken apart on that TV show he was supposed to guest on. And just the look on his face, I was thinking, this guy's suicidal. This might be the end of it for him. And then he's kind of saved by the fact that the government starts to investigate his family. But even then, it seemed possible. So there's no doubt he has been suicidal throughout the season. I just can't imagine him doing this right in front of his kids. He's not a great dad. He's sometimes kind of clueless as to the damage he does to his family members. But this would be kind of a bridge too far, in my opinion. I don't think even he would be this naive. And then some people are saying, well, maybe it was accidental. You know, he maybe took some barbiturates or something. I can see that argument also. But once again, just rewatch this. He has his face on top of the floating mattress. And then he scoots his head over the edge to put his face into the water. So it's not like he accidentally slipped in an accidental suicide if that's possible. This is all intentional. So I just can't imagine him doing it. Now, is this foreshadowing for an eventual suicide? I think foreshadowing to a suicide has been happening all season long. Is that an explicit suicide or is that him just rejecting his identity completely as a Roy, period? It's over. And he cannot reconcile his family relationship and he just disappears. He cuts everybody off and basically to them is dead. One thing or the other, absolutely. But is this his suicide right now? I can't imagine that being the case. All right, I just wanted to get that all out of the way because I know that has been the headlines of the week and I do not believe so. And luckily we only have to wait a few more days to find out. But let's go into the episode. This is an episode that has some pretty funny moments and some really, really excruciatingly painful moments as well. So we open, the Roys are informing Sandy and Stewie right before uh, the board meeting that they're planning to buy Gojo. They're pretty angry about this. Uh, they weren't informed. And they say, this is a very, very big deal. This is the biggest thing you've ever done. And you didn't inform us. This has to be very troubling to 
the Sandys. By the way, Senior Sandy is not there. Now, whether he's actually too sick to attend, he says, I hope he can attend next time. Whether it's true or whether he's just blowing them off. Hard to tell. Multiple people blow off this meeting, <laughs> by the way, even though it's a very important one. But despite all of that, some interesting things happen here, even at this first moments of the episode. One is that Logan says, look, we have to do the Gojo deal. It makes sense. We need streaming. Cord cutters are killing our business. A couple of things I find interesting here. I have multiple times said Logan Roy is all bluster. He may be clueless as to the actual reality of his business. In other words, that other folks are running the business while he just gets to play angry, fist-beating CEO. We hear these rumors of this is how some of these businesses are run. But what he says here indicates that he does know what's actually happening in the real world. And I try to provide some real world analysis to this podcast. In this regard, many of you out there probably have cut the cord. That what that basically means is that in the olden days, not that long ago, a decade ago or so, you got all of your content through your relationship with your cable company. So you had your cable box and there were all your TV shows. Netflix disrupted that by becoming an over-the-top service that only needs an internet connection. And of course, Netflix became massively successful. It's worth half a trillion dollars or something like that now, and probably worth more than almost all of these cable providers combined. It's the world we live in where the possibility of growth gives you more market value than tangible assets. Meanwhile, this relationship between the cable companies and the content providers was great for the cable companies. They have monopolies all over the country, I'm sure. If anybody's ever tried to cut the cord, you know that if you try to switch providers, it's almost impossible. It's just this strange story I can't get into right now of how we have written in monopolies into our systems in supposedly capitalist economy. <laughs> I don't want to go down to that rabbit hole, but very, very strange situation. One of the few legally sanctioned monopolies in the country. But the content providers ended up kind of blackmailing these hard-coded pipelines because you may not be aware of this, but every single year, like ESPN charges a higher fee. The networks, to have the networks included as part of your cable package, they charge a fee to the cable providers, even though they broadcast publicly, and also the news channels. So Fox News, for example, a huge chunk of their money comes from being included on all cable packages, and you really can't opt out. You've probably had the same experience. You may not watch ESPN, but a big chunk of your cable bill goes to ESPN because they've just basically baked it in. MTV used to be like this too, by the way, because MTV used to be essential channel for younger audiences, not so much anymore. But these companies rely on this. So when, when Logan is saying that the cord cutters are bankrupting the business, this is something that's actually happening because... The cable companies are no longer saying, you know what, you guys aren't that essential. As a matter of fact, they are fine giving us, as their consumers, just internet access, and then we buy our services over the top. So you probably see packages where you get Disney Plus and ESPN and Hulu as a package, or Showtime and Paramount Plus as a package. Why? Because their parent companies own all those networks, and they're trying to go over the top so you can get just internet, and then you pay for these networks on the side. And that way, even if the audiences are smaller, the content providers are getting a bigger chunk of that business. So seeing the writing on the wall, Logan is calling out that they need to do something to get into the streaming business. And Gojo is the streaming master. So who else are they going to partner with? Gojo doesn't have a relationship with IP content providers. They need somebody. They need a library at some point. That can be theirs. <laughs> so this is a five minute digression on all of that. Just wanted to let you know. But what we see here is that Logan basically says, look, this is the right, the writing's on the wall, this is the reality. Hey, if you really don't like me doing this, we can go back to Madison and tell him, hey, we're out. We're not going to do this deal after all. To which Sandy and Stewie go like, well, let's not do that. Because they also know that this is the reality of the situation. They need a streaming platform to survive. 
Madison's aware of this as well, by the way, and we'll get into all of that. After that awkward interaction, we immediately see that Madison has tweeted something that, <laughs> well, it's got an eggplant in it. It's got something like that. This is all, once again, analogies to real world. Elon Musk, and unfortunately, this is such a crazy world we live in right now that we have so many of these kind of tech bro CEOs that, that do these type of things. They go on social media and they tweet things that are, and whether it's pumping up GameStop's stocks or cryptocurrency or their own stock, you know, there's been questions about whether Elon Musk is juicing his own stock price with some of these tweets. So this is all being teased here. And we, they even mentioned, oh, is he microdosing uh, before he's tweeting uh, on L LSD? Once again, something else that's very popular in Silicon Valley, this kind of like personal hacking. <laughs> Once again, the satire of the show, not only are we talking about these very powerful people who have our economic livelihoods in their hands, and they're just caught up in these personal dramas. In this case, we have somebody who is one of the richest people in the world, theoretically, and he's, you know, microdosing out on some island somewhere, trying to juice up his own stock price and actually potentially being investigated by the SEC. Once again, something that's happened in the real world as well. Schiff skips the meeting. She's still upset over what she discovered during the birthday party. And we assume this is probably within days of that birthday party. Sona will mention how <laughs> briskly this show moves. <laughs> We've moved uh, maybe a week ahead, maybe less. She mentions to Tom that she is dreading the mom's wedding. Everybody seems to not want to go to the mom's wedding, but they're all going to go. I also like when they're inside the meeting room itself. Frank does this kind of usual spiel going like, oh, everybody's here. Everybody's in attendance, except for Shiv, who is doing some strategic planning. And then she pipes up on the phone. We probably all have this experience where people are on the phone when <laughs> they we think that they're absent. Coughs on the phone and says, hi, Frank, or something like that. And he's like, hey, <laughs> even just saying that immediately after saying that she was not present. And then she met, he mentions that Kendall is missing because he is sick. And then, of course, he responds saying that's not true <laughs> right on the phone. And then because Logan and um, Roman are tied into this deal, they're not they are abstaining from the vote. <laughs> Logan is outside the room proper <laughs> staring at them through the glass wall to which Stewie uh, mentions that it's like taking a shit at the Guggenheim. I think this is a reference, by the way, to Guggenheim uh, had a golden toilet that you could use, a functional, solid gold toilet that people could use. And there was like lines with hundreds and hundreds of people waiting to use the golden toilet. And I think this is what he's referencing, that there's someone outside the door <laughs> while you're taking a shit. We find out a little bit about, a little more, we, this has all been hinted at over the course of the past couple episodes. We find out a little bit more about this Peter who is mat uh, marrying the ex-wife of Logan, the mom of the three siblings. And he appears to be a really shady guy. First of all, they call him the panty sniffer, or that's what Logan calls him, because he's been sniffing around, apparently, the, the mom for a very long time, even back when they were together. Or the seat sniffer, maybe both. But he does seem to be someone who's a prestige chaser, and he's had multiple bankruptcies in the past. He's alienated from his children, and he's involved with some really shady nursing home investment, which I think these nursing homes are going broke. And we found out in an, when they discovered about the wedding that she had been with someone else who I think they liked more than, than this character very recently. So they were thinking, oh, wait, is she marrying that guy? And they're like, no, she's marrying this guy. And Logan was shocked by that kind of like, what? But that turns out to be the case. And when we actually meet Peter, it turns out that he's pretty shady for sure. They're all on one of the private jets traveling to Italy, where this wedding's taking place. That's where the title, by the way, no one ever calls it Chianti Shire, but I guess that's what it, Chianti, you know, Italian wine. And it's a beautiful palatial place. I don't know the actual location, but it's a beautiful location in Italy, as always is the case with this show. There's a pretty funny exchange on the airplane where 
Roman is saying that now that he's the master again, that maybe his sister can be just his assistant or a secretary and can stay outside the room. And she goes, what's wrong with you? She says, and he goes, we're not sure yet. It's a, I'm working on it. This is an ongoing process. <laughs> so maybe he's an analysis, but I'm not sure, but <laughs> it would indicate that perhaps he is doing a little self-reflection, which would be new for him. The first sibling we see to arrive at this palatial location is Kendall. He's trimmed his hair down. His mom makes a comment about it, mentioning that he looks like he was back in the military or something. And he says he's trying to get back to basics or strip himself down. And this is the first cruelty that Kendall suffers here. It turns out that Peter, which the mom calls Bridezilla, once again, deflecting blame to other folks as well. This probably is a pattern uh, with the mother. Peter has a bunch of activities for everybody to participate in. And he has requested that Kendall and Logan never basically share space. This is very offensive to Kendall. He says, thanks a lot, mom, for picking your ex-husband who was like a bastard to you over your own child. This is very problematic. The mother, this relationship she has with trying to please the men around her, not her male children, unfortunately, but her romantic partners to her own detriment and really not caring about the consequences to her kids at all. And this is an interesting dynamic that will play out in a you know fascinating conversation with Shiv later on. Connor arrives with Willa. And he mentions to her that he had met the full fat Pope, uh, one of the older popes that was like a real pope, the real pope. He was like real religious and stuff. He was the full fat version of the pope <laughs> with his dad at one point. So that's pretty impressive that uh, Logan got to meet a pope. He also mentions that Politico is asking a lot of questions about his career and his pedigree. And he's saying, that sounds good, right? They're not going to embarrass me. Uh, the subtext is that there's the questions they have are about his lack of pedigree or resume. To which Willa, as naive as she is about her writing skills, says, yeah, that's right. Those journalists are always <laughs> looking to make you look good and uh, they're always trying to help you out. We see Jerry and Laurie arrive. Why is Jerry here, by the way? These actors, it's amazing. They get this beautiful trip out of this. I'm not sure why Jerry would have been invited to this wedding. She might be needed because there's probably going to be some very important meetings happening. So I guess that's the argument for why she's here. But <laughs> it does seem like that's strange that she would be on the guest list. She's there with her husband, Laurie. Roman shows up and we find out in an uncomfortable exchange within earshot of Laurie, practically, that Roman has been sending her dick pics. And she says, you have to stop sending those items. <laughs> and she basically calls him out like, why are you being like this? What's wrong with you? I think you're spinning out. I think something's happening when you get stressed. And when she starts kind of analyzing his behavior, I think this happens when you're under pressure or, but you need to find some other outlet, Roman. Look at you trying to get inside my head. Don't open Pandora's box. There's just more dicks in there. <laughs> it's interesting to see Roman and Shiv here, by the way, that they, you see that sibling similarity between them as much in the show, as much as they are at odds with each other and as cruel as they are to each other. When it comes to their mother and maybe in these familial dynamics, they reset to their younger selves where they probably were sniping at everybody. And we see this coming from the mom. I, for some reason, had really seen Roman's behavior so tied into Logan, which it is this kind of always on the attack, always on the defensive. And we don't see that behavior normally with Shiv. But now when the two are together and they're back in the fold with the mom and dad around, they fall back into that behavior and they are just sniping at everybody they see, which we see the mom does as well. The mom does it even more subversively. But during these conversations, Shiv has recommended that Roman is the one who approached the mom, although Shiv eventually 
reluctantly has to do her part as well. I mean, Rogan, <laughs> Roman basically throws her in there. So I love uh, Kieran Culkin's performance here. Roman is so itchy when he's around Peter. We've seen this behavior before. He has so many ticks, and it seems like when he is at his most uncomfortable, he really expresses those ticks profoundly. And in this case, we see him really like scratching and twitching. <laughs> it's very entertaining to see him uh, so uncomfortable. And he is basically directly asking the mother about Peter. Well, he's got these bad business deals. Is this really a good idea? What if, uh, you know, you're married to him? And what if he's like going to use your corporate assets to cover his losses? And maybe that's what he's behind. And she just says all these disparaging things about him. She really just <laughs> says one bad thing about Peter after another and then says, oh, but she still adores him. It's, it's such a strange duality in this conversation. I'm not sure what she's, I'm not sure her psychology here at all. It's very strange. Maybe something I need to ask Sarah about. And she says, there's no prenup. The idea of a prenup would be unromantic. It's very strange that when you're talking about millions of dollars and potentially really not even looking out for herself, right? Because she, I'm sure she has some kind of stipend she gets from Logan, but primarily it's the asset she has in the company itself. And if she has to trade that in to cover large losses by Peter, who is maybe aggressively pursuing her for that very purpose, she's completely exposed. This is very, very strange behavior for her. She also says something very interesting here. She goes, what am I supposed to do? Just survive on macaroni and memorial services? I'm not sure what that means. We would assume she has some substantial cash flow. I mean, it doesn't seem that Peter has that much money, so she could survive on that. I mean, the more memorial services part makes sense because, you know, she's getting older and she's saying, well, what am I supposed to do? I mean, my options are running out, romantically at least. So next we see Kendall is talking to Comfrey about what options he has for media exposure. And here comes podcasts again that uh, turns out no one's really interested in discussing him anymore. He's kind of no longer become a story. Sona kind of hinted at this, that maybe this story would uh, lose traction and apparently it has, but there are some podcasters that are sniffing around. This is a pattern, by the way, we covered in an earlier recap show, Only Murders in a Building, about a podcast where the podcasters cracked the crime where the cops did not. We have currently recapping Dexter, where a podcaster has made progress on missing persons case that the cops had not. And now here's another one where this podcast apparently are better detectives than uh, the powers that be. They're doing a series called The Curse of the Roys. And this is very uncomfortable for Kendall because Comfrey mentions that some of the investigation is around the drowning of that waiter at Shiv's wedding and other embarrassing Roy drama that has been buried. But to Kendall, obviously, the criminal charges around that potential death are the ones that are most problematic to him. After that, Comfrey asks, can I take a break? Can I?" And once again, how is Comfrey here at this wedding, right? Maybe she's uh, the plus one for Kendall. But my question is more about the actress herself. <laughs> how did she, you know, score this juicy trip to Italy uh, when she's, you know, not really essential cast? She asks for some time off after this inter uh, interaction with Kendall. And that means she wanders over to Greg and gives him a little smooch. So this is a ding on Greg. He's on a downward trajectory recently, in my opinion. After having scored Comfrey just last week, he says, I don't know how much substance she has. I don't know how serious she is, despite the fact that Shiv and Tom are just making fun of him, basically, and messing with him, by the way. They do have a legitimate point of saying, hold on a second, you're worried about someone else being substantial enough? I'm not sure if that is a legitimate concern. And then they start messing with his head, saying, well, maybe, because she's kind of out of your league, people see you with her, and she becomes a date ladder, which means that you can always just use her to take another step up on that dating ladder. And they, Tom and Shiv mentioned to him, how about her? She's a duchess. So there's a girl that, by the way, Roman is also circling around, although I don't think that's going to turn into anything other than trolling. 
and jokingly they say, hey, why don't you go for her? And he goes for this. He basically says, yeah, the date letter, that makes sense. Shiv has a funny line here. She says that when she sees her mom out and about, she tries to hide behind Tom and she says, Scary Poppins is on maneuvers. <laughs> Scary Poppins. There's another troubling tweet from Madison. He says that he's going to Macau and he's feeling lucky. This worries Logan and it's going to get things going where Roman eventually has to go and meet with Madison. Before then, though, we see Connor proposes to Willa. This is a very funny scene. She's trying to not embarrass him. She wants to earn her keep. That's her job. But she doesn't want to say yes either, and this interchange is so funny. We can go back underground. Me and my apartment in the city, come visit. It's kind of romantic. That doesn't work for me, no. Maxim had an idea. Ooh. Will you make me the most happiest man slash most bulletproof candidate in the world? Okay. Um, no, I, no, I mean, well, then I'd be pleased to say yes, yes, yes. Can I, can I have a little think on it? If it's okay, I'm smiling now. Right. Like you said yes. Okay. <laughs> to take your time. Right. <laughs> but. I still have to track down, we saw this in the coming attractions, I still have to track down, we see, unfortunately, underused this season, we see Marsha and Logan together, and the family makes some jokes, uh, the ex-wife makes some jokes about whether you think Logan might still be having sex with her, and they ask, did you get your wed wedding present? And she says, the porcupine, the concubine, and the, I can't remember what it is, but I have to track to figure out what this quote means. I actually Googled it, and I couldn't find anything about this, so maybe there's an interpretation out there. Peter awkwardly approaches Logan and immediately asks him, this is before they have any of these kind of organized events. He just kind of approaches him and says, do you have any UK government contracts? I just want to like build goodwill with these government agents. And we know that this is because of the legal issues he's involved with, with these nursing homes. So it's just so transparent and it's just so ugly. There's a very funny interaction here between Roman, Logan, and Kendall, where Kendall just is yelling at his dad saying like, look, dad, you got to meet with me, me and you, we're going to meet tonight. We're going to have dinner. Roman kind of intercedes, kind of blocks him out. Logan uncomfortably looks around like he can't see him. And, and <laughs> he says under his breath, not even under his breath, you can pretty much hear him clearly, uh, we're, we'll think about it. And Roman reiterates that we'll think about it. It's very funny. It's like, <laughs> how petty is this? It's like literally like little children interacting. So it's strange. Logan is actually a little scared of Kendall. And we'll see that even more later, which is surprising, I have to say. Logan also tells Roman, you have got to go and talk to Madison. Madison's sending out more text messages with eggplants and things in it. And uh, Logan responds, uh, I'm not used to negotiating via eggplant. <laughs> then we get into one of the most interesting interchanges the show's ever had. Shiv and her mom. Later this week, I'll be publishing an episode where my friend Sarah did a case study on the family. And we were discussing how we don't know enough about the mother other than, you know, the kids constantly mentioning how cold she is. We really don't know what those interactions are like. And then we see Shiv and her mom together. Shiv, reluctant to go to this, but she's trying to intercede on part of that whole Peter situation once again. And there's a couple of really interesting dynamics that play out here. First is we see, like I mentioned earlier, that this constant sniping, these constant joking attacks that we see in Roman are here with the mother as well. And Shiv can you know, give as good as she gets, despite the fact that she tries to play herself up as above that in public eye. Internally, no. 
she's the same. Got a very big heart. Well, I suppose opposites attract. Should we just enjoy a fag? Not do any sniping for a bit? Or have you come to get some attention? Me? Attention from you? Oh, no. That ship sailed long ago. Yeah, I might have been a bit of a spotty mother, but you've been a shitty daughter, so... You weren't a spotty mother. You were just... an absence. Well, I'm fine. I moved back to bloody New York so I could be near you, and I never fucking saw you. Mom, it's okay. It's fine. You let Dad take us, and it was probably best. Gave him custody so you could keep your shares and I could protect your interests. You chose. I'll have the carbonara and daddy, please. I didn't choose anything. You tend to get what you want anyway. And you don't? I don't think I've ever won a single battle in my whole life. Hmm. I was 10, Mom. You were 13. And you knew how to twist the knife. You knew then and you know now. You were quite a piece of work. Truth is, I probably should never have had children. You've made the right decision. Some people just aren't made to be mothers. I should have had dogs. Well, you could have had dogs. No, not with your father. He never saw anything he loved that he didn't want to kick it just to see if it would still come back. This is huge. This is basically the interaction he has with the kids. There is this narcissistic need on Logan's behalf where he requires proof of loyalty constantly, but he can't give any affection out. It's always this constant need for approval and he tortures and manipulates the people who give him that affection because he wants proof that they will keep coming back and this kind of unlocks the relationship between the parents and children here roman flies out on the way out he mentions to jerry that he's going to go save the deal he's the hero and he might try to fuck laurie <laughs> just to piss off jerry he's still jealous of the fact that jerry's still having a healthy marriage with her husband I like Jerry's subtle, almost throwaway line where she says, please don't fuck Lori. <laughs> and he's off to meet up with Madison and we'll, we'll get into that whole breakdown. But before then, Kendall and Logan have dinner. And this is maybe the most important uh, scene that's ever been on the show. Their interaction is so brutal. First of all, it's shocking to me. Logan shows up with a bit, little bit of an entourage. The idea that he's afraid of his son. So afraid of his son, by the way, his, uh, uh, Kendall messes with him, says, oh, you know, I can't eat any food. We've brought our own food. And Kendall says, no, we talked to your doctor and we made food that complies with your diet restrictions. This makes Logan uncomfortable, although he won't show it, but he makes it makes him uncomfortable. And when they bring the plates out, Kendall intentionally says, no, that one's for him. That one's for him. So they switch the plates around, which is just messing with Logan's head. And he being the king of messing with people's heads, he falls for it. This is incredible. He actually has his grandson come out and goes, hey, how's Iverson doing? Iverson's autistic, by the way. I'd forgotten this until recently, although he doesn't present that way, obviously, here. But he does get a little dig in on Kendall being like, so is he getting better? Of course, yeah, that's how that works. And Kendall says he's fine. But he says, oh, I just want to see my grandson. When his grandson comes out there, he says, hey, why don't you taste some of my dinner? <laughs> Unbelievable. He really does think that Kendall would poison him. 
Kendall's shocked by this. He says, I, who, what do you think I am? And of course, he barely cares uh, about seeing Iverson. Crazy name for a kid, by the way. We've already discussed this previously, but <laughs> Kendall did name him Iverson. And basically, after he tastes the pasta and he's like, okay, proof that I'm not being poisoned. He says, okay, thanks. You can go now. And he says, oh, by the way, I brought you like a gift or something. So that's it. Just give him a gift and doesn't really need to interact with the kids at all, which of course we know is his behavior anyway. It's probably how he was with his own children. And then this gets into a really ugly conversation. First of all, we find out that the $2 billion deal, the payout wasn't real. The deal wasn't real. There is no escape plan. He says, you can come work for me again in the mailroom. You're, you know, I, I, I hate to say this because I love you, but you're kind of evil. Don't talk about things you don't understand. Well, you're smart. But what you've done is you, you've, you've monetized all the fucking American resentments of class and race. And I and thought I was just telling folks the weather. You've turned black bile into silver dollars. Oh, you just noticed, did you? Yeah, maybe I did. Not everyone can live this life. I'm a great revolutionary. A bit of fucking spice, a bit of fun. Fun. A bit of truth. Okay, truth, okay. I fucking know things about the world or I wouldn't turn a buck. Maybe. Not necessarily nice things. But whatever, let me out. Okay, pay up and let me out. I don't want to be you. I'm a good guy. How long was that kid alive before he started sucking in water? Long time, two minutes. What were you even doing? Chasing a bit of tail? Hey, are you queer? Or was it just the drugs? I'm better than you. Sure. You're my son. I did my best. And whenever you fucked up, I cleaned up your shit. And I'm a bad person? Fuck off, kiddo. Good night. We're out of here. This, of course, is very damaging to Kendall and leads to everything that happens at the end of the episode. And I'm not sure there's a coming back from this for their relationship anymore. We follow this scene up with another incredible scene. Shiv gets back home and tells Tom she now wants to have a baby. Of course she wants to have a baby because her mother told her that she should not be a mother and should never have kids. And this is why Shiv does what she does. This is probably why she is supposedly a liberal. It's not because of any true political inclinations. It's because it's not what his, her parents want. This scene with Tom is amazing. And McFadden's face is incredible. The camera's on him the entire time. And basically, she not only says she wants to have sex with him and have a baby with him, she says to him, you can do anything you want to me. Tell me what that is. And Tom fails her. He is not able to become the aggressor in this regard. And maybe Tom is just the passive person, period. So he can't do it. And subtly, you see it on Sarah Snook's face also. She's disappointed that he's not able to become the aggressor in that moment. As a matter of fact, he once again shows her his belly and says, why don't you be the mistress? Why don't you tell me what you want? To which she brutally tells him the truth. She plays it off like this is just a little S&M play. 
You're not good enough for me. Oh, right. Oh, I see. Well, let's mm -hmm. see about that. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. way out of your fucking league. Oh, you think so? Yeah? Uh-huh. Yeah. But that's why you want me. That's why... Maybe. You love me. Fuck you. Even though I don't love you. But you want me anyway. And you see the pain on his face. It's just brutal. And you see him just taking these shots. And I think about her mom telling her that Logan likes to kick puppies. Well, turns out Shiv can kick puppies just as well as her dad. Well, after two brutal, brutal scenes the night before, we see Willa having breakfast with Connor. And she says she's still thinking about it, still thinking about the proposal. And he goes, well, this is getting a little unromantic. And she's like, well... We can go back to the way things were. She had actually proposed earlier on that they kind of go back underground, as she says, which is kind of just let's go back to the way things were. Things were nice when we were just seeing each other transactionally. But that's kind of been blown up by this marriage proposal. And of course, he doesn't want her to accept. At this breakfast, we also see that Greg has approached this duchess, who also turns out to be <laughs> the brand ambassador for some fermented yogurt, which he claims to have had. Maybe there's more than one. I'm not sure. We have a follow up to Shiv and Tom. Tom starts confronting her about some of the things she said to him the night before. And uh, Shiv says, hey, what happens in Sex Vegas stays in Sex Vegas. And man, she does some jujitsu here where Shiv goes, oh, you're talking to me about what happened during the throes of passion, quote unquote, right? Whatever. You're so manipulative. <laughs> He's the manipulative one. Sure, sure. And then he goes, so were you serious, though? Were you serious about having a baby? And she says, yeah, I was serious one way or the other. One way or the other. She wants to have a baby. What does that mean? Not with him? Uh, and of course, she wants this like half measure. She's thought this all out. She wants to make baby popsicles. She wants to inseminate the eggs, but then put them on ice. So, and then we'll see where we're at. We'll see where we're at. So this is not at all the romantic gesture, even the, you know, uh, calculating romantic uh, gesture of the night before where she seemed to potentially be saying, let's do it. Let's have sex right now and throw caution to the wind and become parents. That's not what she's saying at all. She's saying, let's prepare for that likelihood and then she'll weigh her options at some later point and maybe it won't be with him this is where she gets one more dig on him where she goes come on tom you know i don't love you but i love you it, she's actually saying something there it's not just a, a troll i think she's serious there she's actually saying that she loves parts about him or she loves being married to him and what that gives her but she doesn't really love him that is a person so now we see Ro roman uh, meet with matson they're on some island somewhere maybe in Macau. Skarsgård shows his accent here a little bit, which is funny. And just one week after Sona was gushing about how beautiful he looked, and I even complimented him on his appearance, he looks a little haggard here. Intentionally show, he looks a little shaggy. He looks a little uh, puffy. Uh, and it turns out he says he hasn't been sleeping. He hasn't been sleeping. He wants the best of everything. He wanted the best bed in this palace he's staying in. He was disappointed. So now he's just sleeping on the floor. He wants the best bed or he'll just sl slip on the floor. It's got to be the absolute best or nothing at all. We found out earlier, by the way, uh, Jerry had mentioned the fact that this tweeting had, he was hinting with those tweets that something big was coming, that the stock was going to blow up. And of course, activated these um, Reddit investors. Once again, another thing that's a real life corollary is kind of how during the pandemic, a lot of these uh, younger investors were just chasing these market caps, just trying to build up these small companies that were selling for nothing and blowing them up into giant stock valuations. In this case, it looks like this is a legitimate product, you know, more like the Tesla example, where um, a lot of these same investors poured a lot of money into Tesla stock last year. And of course, their stock, the valuation on that stock is over a trillion dollars now, something crazy like that. 
And it all happened, I mean, it could get increased four to tenfold in, in the course of a year, year and a half. So something similar is happening here with Gojo. Everyone's panicking because they're saying, look, the stock price is approaching the value of Waystar Royco. So Roman goes, are you just trying to blow up this deal? Are you not interested? And he's saying, no, I want a merger, a merger of equals. Or I'm not sure what he's saying, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I think, you know, Roman takes that as that's what he's trying to do. He, he legitimately wants this thing to happen, but he just wants it to be a merger of equals. He also has a very interesting conversation. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. But he says that success is easy, which is really funny when you consider how few people achieve this kind of success. For him, it's so easy. He's, you know, one at everything, his stock valuation, whatever he does, whatever he says, just goes up and up and up. And he can't lose at this point. So what he's fascinated by is losing. He wants to lose as much as possible, as quickly as possible. That is problematic to this deal going through because I worry if that is planting a seed for what is to come. What if they merge? And then he blows up the company. And now 50% of the company is his under his purview. And he's intentionally destroying it. Is that what's on the horizon? Not sure yet. But this is an interesting point that he makes. So he goes back to meet with Logan and Jerry and all the decision makers and the bankers who are going to approve this deal. And Roman basically says, look, this thing is over. It's not going to succeed because he wants a merger of equals. And there's no way that dad is going to be okay with that. He cannot dilute his power to that extent. And Roman's uncomfortable even mentioning this to his dad. So it says to Jerry, does Jerry want to do it? And Jerry goes, well, he, she doesn't even want to even be in the room. So Roman walks in there. It's a very strange scene, by the way, because he's just trying to like not make this sound totally embarrassing going, well, dad, it's up to you. It's on, on your judgment, but he wants a merger of equals and you know, and he just leaves it like that, dot, dot, dot. And I think he thought that dot, dot, dot was, so forget it. His dad's going to be like, screw this guy. To which his dad says, is this a serious person? Is this guy a serious person? He goes, because I can get in the ring and fight any serious fighter, but I can't, I can't fight a clown, is what he says. So is this guy a clown? Is he just messing around? Because then we can't do business because I don't know how to negotiate with him or work with him. Or is he a serious person? And Roman should be more honest that he can't get a read on him here. But Roman's trying to save face in the moment and says, no, he's a serious person. I think this is a mistake, by the way. Shiv, by the way, was going in there ready to basically pile on Roman. But instead, she suddenly, this is so strange, this all happens in this one scene. It's very interesting, by the way. She suddenly starts to say, well, you know, it does make sense. We do need the streaming. So this whole thing going in there, just a moment before, everyone's like, this deal is not going to work. It's a disaster. And then just a moment later, Logan's come around and he's like, okay, let's do it. Merger of equals. Crazy, right? And then in his victory lap, Roman airdrops or texts, I'm not sure which one, a dick pic another one to Jerry, to Jerry, whoops, to his dad. <laughs> oh my God. And then he realizes what happened when his dad picks up the phone. His dad says, I need five minutes and he grabs Shiv. So this is important, by the way, that when it comes to family business, he does rely on Shiv. He takes Shiv aside and says, what is this? And she goes, well, it's Roman. And she goes, and he says, so who was he sending this to? She says, Jerry. And he goes, Jerry, what's happening with Jerry? This is very upsetting to him. You know, Jerry's older. He thinks that it's inappropriate for his son. Just kind of be very conservative. And it's inappropriate for Jerry too, to participate in this in any way, even if it's passively. Of course, he's blaming Jerry. Then Logan has a very inter interesting interaction with, with Roman. This is the first time, I think, maybe in the entire show where I've been sympathetic just as, <laughs> and I think if you're a parent, you can appreciate this, where he's just like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> And like I said, this is maybe the first time I put myself in uh, Logan's shoes and I was very sympathetic to him. And I honestly thought this might blow up everything, right? Because if Roman's judgment is this weak, are you really going to trust this deal? The biggest deal of your entire corporate history. 
on Roman's opinions, on his assessment. And to Roman's credit, I didn't know what this whole Jerry thing with Roman was. Was it just a troll or was he legitimate or he did not even understand it? But I thought that over the course of the season, he has had some affection for her. Logan's literally talking about like, we need to get rid of Jerry because, you know, if this is happening and she's allowing it to happen, it's her fault. <laughs> it's, not, it's not Roman's fault because he's just a little kid, apparently, right? He's like, whatever, 30 some years old, but she takes the blame for this, supposedly. But Roman goes, by the way, I'm not a feminist. He's definitely not a feminist, by the way. But I do think that firing someone for being sexually harassed is probably not going to look good. <laughs> Legitimately true. By the way, Shiv has already on the same wavelength and is trying to make a play where she goes to Jerry and goes, why don't you go to HR? Why don't you make a formal complaint? And Jerry's saying, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Thank you for your concern. So what's interesting here, on the one hand, Shiv is not a attacking Jerry for no reason or taking the party line that well, if you're a woman and you allow this to happen to yourself, it's all on you. That's actually not what she's doing here. This is a play. She thinks if she can undermine Roman as much as possible. As a matter of fact, there was a whole moment earlier in the episode before she started stabbing Tom repeatedly in the chest <laughs> with her vicious words. Uh, she came in there triumphantly and said, I talked to my mom and I am going to take this. No one's going to give me you know, the CEO title without a fight. Of course not. And I was actually totally on board with her line of thinking. I don't know. She, I don't think she'd be successful, but she's absolutely correct in the regard that she's waiting for someone to hand this to her. No, you got to fight for it. That's how this works. You, no one gets anything by simply having it handed to them. You know, if there's 10 people who are vying for the CEO position, you can't be waiting for your dad to do it. Those people are making plays. You got to make plays too. And she says, I'm going to take down Roman. I'm going to destroy him, dismantle him a little bit at a time. And I'm going to undermine everybody else that is in play. Jerry being one of those people as well. And I'm going to rise to the top until there's nobody left. Kendall's out. I'm going to take down Roman. I'm going to knock down Jerry. And I'm going to inherit that role by default. And I think this is part of the play. She's making Roman look bad. She's throwing Jerry under the bus here. And either Jerry gets thrown under the bus and she's out. That's one less player on the board or manipulates Jerry into throwing Roman under the bus and maybe both of them get tainted by this and boom, two more off the table. So she's making a play here, it's practical. And that circles us back to the beginning of this conversation. We see Kendall floating, drowning, floating slash drowning, but is he dead? I don't think so. All right, so next week's episode is very interesting. Matson confronts Logan and the wedding for real happens. And we find out the fate of Kendall, of course. I would assume we're going to find that out, even though it's not teased in the coming attractions. There is a very interesting, uh, in the moments that we do see with Matson and Logan, he basically says, hey, with all due respect, you were a titan at one time, but you are going down in flames and I am ascending. So maybe he wants more than an equal partnership in this merger. And we'll find out more next week, season finale. Same writer, same director. I assume it's going to be pretty great stuff. And as I mentioned before, every one of these seasons has ended on a pretty big event. So what is that event? Is it the merger or is it something cataclysmic that's going to happen that we haven't seen yet? So that's the end of my commentary. Like I mentioned before, stay tuned. We will have later this week, Dexter recap, Dexter new blood. If you haven't been watching that show, it's on Showtime. If you haven't caught up on it, pretty interesting stuff, especially now they're putting some serious stakes into the show. It's nowhere near as deep or dense as this show is succession. But it's been entertaining so far, and I do think that there's going to be some pretty big events that have to happen. As a matter of fact, a pretty big event happened this very week. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you subscribe so you know when those episodes are available. And later this week, more Succession Talk. We'll get Sona's feedback on the episode. And that really interesting conversation I had with Sarah, a psychological case study on the Roy family. If you have any comments, please email me, needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. Talk to you soon. 